Thresholds Radio with your host, John Stevenson. Recording a UFO activity. And there in the darkness, on the ground, knocking on the walls, something crawling. It's obvious to kids. Why? Oh my god, are you seeing this? You're listening to Thresholds Radio. I'm Anthony Kay. With me is John Stevenson. On today's show, we have Thomas Fusco, also Cassidy O'Connor, and much more. We're going to start off the show right away with Cassidy O'Connor right after this quick commercial break. You're listening to Thresholds Radio. We'll be right back. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-Info. And welcome back to Thresholds Radio. This is Michael Clean, and we are here with John Stevenson, who magically has become now in the passenger seat. Yes. And yes, I am in the driver's seat. I've taken over the show, and we have a a great guest for you today. I do the Uh, editing, remember? What? (laughs) I said, I I do the editing, Mr. Clean. Remember that. (laughs) Don't come in and try to interrupt. I'm sorry. Because you're trying to be serious. Okay. And this, this is all being, uh, I'm not editing any of this either. This is on Sunday show. Yep. Yeah. You get, no, uh, no. get back in the passenger seat. <laughs> okay. So we are here with Cassidy O'Connor, and she is the author of a book that, called Diaries of the Dark Side. Now, we, we've had her on the show a couple times in the past, but we recently published a second edition of the book. And so she's going to come on the show and tell us a little bit about uh, what the difference is between the first and second edition and some of the things that have uh, unfortunately transpired in relation to the case since the last time we talked. So uh, wel- welcome to the show, Cassidy. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. Thank you. <laughs> I-, I had to check. So one thing, okay, before we get into the meat of the show, uh, or the meat of the interview, rather, I wanted to kind of, for our listeners who didn't hear the first interview, could you tell them a little bit about what the book is about and your background in writing about the paranormal? I know this isn't your first book. I believe it's your first book that you wrote entirely yourself. Is that correct? So you you did co-author a book before this, right? I have co-authored the book. That was my first uh, writing venue. And then I continued on to write articles. I've been placed in several different magazines and, and books. But then when I wrote Diaries of the Dark Side, I did it all on my own. It was actually a memoir, which was a whole new avenue for me to pursue. It told the story of a family who had a very, very dark influence over their life for years. And it took several members of their family. And I was involved. And I helped them among others, rid their family of this. And when everything was completed and their grandson was feeling much better, they had asked me to put their story into writing. 
And I really, I really didn't want to do it. And it took about a year. And I had cut communication off with the family once the case was closed, only to call her a year later because I was thinking of her and her sister had passed. And she said to me, Cassidy, I really wish you would have told our story for other people who may be going through something as crazy as this and they don't realize it. And I think that we could save lives. And it was after I hung up on that phone call, within three days, the entire book was written. I hadn't slept, hadn't showered, hadn't eaten. I just kind of sat down in my office and I didn't stop until I finished it. You wrote the book just right out of your mind right there, right? Fresh experience just happened. You wrote it all right down. I, what I did was I wrote it to the best of my ability um, from my memories of the case. And what I had was many files on the case. I was involved for years. And so I went back through them. And during the life of the case, you know, the, the few years before I was ever involved, I had gotten the back, you know, the back story on things. And so I used all of that. And when I had completed the story, I printed it out and I sent it to her. And I asked her, I referred to her as Kathy in the book. I said, Kathy, I'd like you to read through this. And I'd like you to tell me if anything is incorrect, if any timeline is wrong. And she sent it back and said, thank you so much. You know, it was, it was wonderful. And I happened to meet Michael Clean by accident because due to the severity of the story, I was going to self-publish it. And I had happened to come across him and I said, you were a self-publisher. I said, do you have any hints and clues? And he says, well, I just happened to own my own publishing company and I'd be interested. And it just, it, it kind of took off from there. Yeah, was, that, that was uh, right when I first started publishing other people's books. And this was the second book that I worked on. Uh, so, and it, it continues to be one of the most successful books that I've published. That's an amazing story, too. For those people that haven't read it yet, you definitely want to go out and pick this up. Yeah, and how now, how has the attitude of the family changed uh, since the book has come out? Because originally, I understand they were very supportive, but now that, that might not be the case? Well, when this come out... I, I used to talk to the grandmother of the family, which I refer to again as Kathy, and I protected their names, I protected their location, I was vigilant in protecting this family. I mean, my first mistake was never get too close to a case, and the severity of this, not only in my own life, but in the child's life, was damaging. Everybody that this child came in contact with was destroyed, and it wasn't him. You know, it, it was the influence that was with him. And so when the story came out, <clears throat> I, was, I was very close to them, talking two, three times on the phone a week. They live a few hours away from me. Uh, you know, I kept up with the, the, the birthdays and everything. And <clears throat> when the story was put into print, they were very, very happy. Uh, they were ecstatic, actually. And every radio show or every write-up that was done on this memoir was immediately sent to them. I can't tell you how many radio shows, if not all of them, the grandmother sat and listened and would call me immediately after it was done. Cassidy, you did a great job. Thank you so much. And, oh, I'd say a few months back, uh, everything started to turn where I got my first royalty check. And, of course, all the funds that were made from this book were to go to the child himself because it was my goal I didn't write this book to make money. I didn't write this book 
to be famous. I wrote this for them. And I made that very clear. And when they got, when I got the first check, I called the house and didn't get an answer, which was very odd. And it went on for days. <clears throat> and I was very, very worried. And I actually finally shifted over to Facebook where I was blocked and there was no communication. I went, oh my goodness. I panicked. And it came out, oh, a few weeks later that they had been promised documentaries and they had been promised all these things that have to do with fame and glory. And that was more important to them. Oh, so really? That's a change they, of events, isn't it? That, well, it is and it isn't. When, when you deal with dark influences, as you know when you've interviewed me, your equipment has screwed up, <laughs> you've heard things, you've lost things, things that were inconceivable to happen. Yeah, we weren't even going to mention that, though. I didn't want to jinx us this time. <laughs> well, yeah. But the truth of it is, there's a difference between the paranormal and evil. There's a very large difference. When I explain it to people, I say, they're two different libraries. They're two different cities. They're completely two different everything. They're, they're opposite. And a lot of people in the paranormal, they don't understand this. You know, there's these demon hunters, and there's all these people on TV that are glamorous and wonderful. In real life, this is damaging. And this was the perfect, the perfect example of a perfect possession. These things seem to come full circle. And I have dealt with many cases. This was by far the worst. And this has come back to bite me in the rear end numerous times in my life. And like I said, with the additions I had made to the book, just when you get comfortable with something, it comes back. And the fact that it started with two people that were present in that book, of course, names were changed. There was one who did an interview with the family, dropping the boy's real name over live radio. Are, are uh, now, are these the uh, so-called paranormal investigators that you started the case with? Yes. No, no, not the original, the original crew of people that I was brought in with. These were people that I brought in myself to help me, and they were wonderful people. And it's that, that, that fame glow, those sunglasses that get put on when you get a little touch of something. <laughs> There's a lot of that and, in this field, unfortunately, too. And that is what has happened. It, it, it's sickening because I tried to do something very selfless, and it come back where, you know, the one guy was doing an interview on the radio on my book. I wasn't even made aware of it. Uh, and was giving false information and saying, I saved this family from the depths of hell. Really? You know? uh, and then, after that friendship had ended, and I thought that was silly, I, uh, a, a man that came out of the woodwork that was a friend of mine during the case that I had cut off from afterwards just from his behavior, uh, he actually, after he worked with me, he was on the case for one day, he started giving lectures on being a demonologist. <laughs> and I kind of faced away from him after that. And all of a sudden, one day on, a, on, a, on an internet chat, he pops up, Cassidy, how are you? And I said, what is it that you want? And he says, I have so much respect for you, and I care about you, and you're the only person in this field that I've ever listened to. You're the only person that really gets it. And I said, well, I'll give everybody, I'll give anybody a second chance. And I did. And uh, come to find out that the two, the two that had, had wronged me terribly were on conference calls with the family, planning documentaries and no, you're and kidding. he wanted he was he was writing his own book on the family's case, making me out to be a fraud. Is this that person yeah. that I know too? That one we talked about before that I actually know? No. Okay. This is this is a different young man, and he was writing his own book. And I said, "God bless you." And he was actually trying to befriend me to get information on the case because he was only he was only there for one day. Mm. 
And it was at that point that I had a blowout with the family. And it made me very sad. Uh, I actually had sent the family the royalty check. And I had wrote it out strictly to the boy because it was for him. He was the one who suffered through this. He was the one that deals with this every day. He's 17 years old. And he's brilliant. He's going to be a physicist. He, he is absolutely an amazing kid. And I sent it to them. They sent it back to me with the word void across it. So I have started a bank account just for this boy. And when he reaches 21, he will get all the funding made from this book. They sent the money back? Yes. They said, we don't want you money. And I said, okay. It was very odd how this all transpired. And I, I remember there's a bishop that I work with. And I am not a Christian faith-based person. I am a free thinker. But I work with a man. And he was with me through the entire case. And I sat down with him and I said, Jim, I don't understand. I, I don't understand why this is happening. You know, I've been so selfless. And he said, my child, this is the perfect position. He says, don't you understand? And I said, he says, what you did was you rid this family of this thing, and now it's pissed. And basically, what has been done, he says, did you ever realize that when you removed it, that it possibly may have went to somebody else? And I said, well, it was doing that. It had jumped several times, and he says, I know that. But time and space means nothing. And all of your information that you have spread to the world and all of your aid that you have done is trying to be taken from you. Your reputation that you have built, the people you have helped. And it made me realize that... That is the major difference with evil and haunted. Uh, ghosts are ghosts. Ghosts are everywhere. And communication with them can sometimes be positive, negative, whatever. When you get into darker avenues, you never escape from it. And I have given lecture upon lecture, and it, it is something that's so important to try to get out there. And that was why it was so important to me to put out the second edition of this book. So to, since last time we talked, the family didn't complete 360 then, didn't they? They did, and I have been brutally honest through this entire thing, and they, they were actually angry. I was so upset over it, I said, that's it. I said, the book is going to be taken off the shelf. I'm going to contact my publisher, and it's gone. And they had actually written me a letter that said, why would you take it off the shelves? How dare you? And I thought, I, I went through about a month of my life where every spiritual book and object in my house was removed. You know, I went through that whole, why am I doing this? And may they all burn in hell stage. Um in reference to everybody. <laughs> and it was such a learning experience, and I'm so lucky to have experienced it because it has grown me into somebody I wasn't six months ago. It gave me a full understanding of so many things, and now I feel lucky to have gone through it. So with the second edition, I put a very large introduction into, you know, with the factors of, does anybody really know what evil is? You know, besides what you have on your TV shelves, what you, you snuggle up to with a bowl of popcorn? And, and, you know, and in my reflection, I gave details like I did in the book. I was very honest about how things can come around full force. And it's, it's another step in helping people understand, please run from this. You want to go investigate a haunted house? Do it. Don't jump into something you don't understand. Do you think this thing's yeah. out to get you now? The way I explain it is imagine yourself in a dark room and you have a flashlight and you turn it on. You can see them and they can see you. And you can never, ever shut that flashlight off. And I know this, and I, I often think it's humorous, like the life path that was chosen for me at uh, 30 years old. I have wrinkles, and I, you know, I never sleep, and I'm anxious. And I've had many people compliment me, you know, oh, you know so much. I know very little. I know nothing. I mean, every, anybody who's an expert on anything isn't an expert at all. And 
I feel very fortunate to go have seen the things that I've seen, to have experienced the things that I've experienced, and I've learned from everything, and I continue to learn. So that's why this edition was so important, was to show the full circle. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, that's a good reason for a second edition, too. I wasn't sure at first, but, I mean, after listening to this, that's a that's a very good reason for a second edition. Yeah, and what, there's also some general... Uh, fine-tuning, I think, that was done also. Mm-hmm. So people should be very pleased with that. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, I had sent out, when I wrote the reflection and I wrote the introduction, I was very aggravated, and I let it go for about three weeks. And then I sat back down again, and I erased everything, and I started over. And I sent it to many of the people that are in my life that I'm lucky to have. They're very well-off uh, authors, you know, they've done very well. And I said, guys, is this a little too much? Did I overdo it? And all of them came back with, you did it perfectly. And I had, I had one of my friends just clap and say, that's all I can do is clap for you. And uh, I think that it really is a learning tool. And I hope that it helps. You know, if somebody in their life, they don't understand what's happening. These things aren't a pan flying across the kitchen or a cabinet door slam. This is people dying. This is, this is death. This is suicide. This is hate. This is sickness and mm-hmm. i just i want people to understand this is not the avenue to pursue yeah well i, I always said uh you know you see shows like ghost adventures and yeah. every place they go is supposedly infested with demons and i've always said that if they really ever encountered an actual demon they i mean they would be done with the show <laughs> they would you know? run <laughs> Well, not only that, but they, you know, the, we would start hearing a lot of strange things about them, like, you know, them going insane or, yes, you know, bodily injury, those kinds of things. And, you know, a lot of people, who knows how many people have come in contact with these things and suffered greatly from it. And I actually had somebody come out of the woodwork who is a very, very well-known uh, in the paranormal world, very, very intelligent. I think a lot of them. And he had wrote me an email and he was in Peru actually. And he was reading my book and he says, Cassidy, he said, this is by far one of the best books that I've ever read. And he said, I can count on less than one hand for people that I've met all over the world that actually get it. He says, you get it. And it was so pleasing to me to hear that from somebody who I have so much respect for. And I've just, I've been very excited about the second one coming out. And actually the original cover is black. And the second edition is white. And when Michael asked me, you know, why do you want it white? I said, because it's my reflection. It's, 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 the, it's the negative and it's the positive. It's the reflection. It's the opposite of what has transpired. And he thought that was a very good idea. So it will look a little different. Same cover, but white. Yeah, it'll, it'll be very easy for people to distinguish between yeah, the two. It's actually a cool idea. Yeah, I, I thought it was neat. And I, I know people are very excited for it. And it's the same book, but it's, it's different. It's, there's a lot to it. A lot has changed. And that was what was so, so important to put out into the world. Mm-hmm. I can't believe the family is like that now because last time we talked, I mean, everything was fine and they were thrilled. And wow, what, what a 360. That's just amazing. Well, even, well, and it, it strikes me, I mean, this isn't even like, when you think about, okay, what are the really well-known cases in the paranormal the you know like you think about the amityville horror Mm -hmm. this doesn't even come close to that in terms of renown right and yet so even this small amount of publicity has has gone to everyone's heads 
Yes. And, it's and it's incredible. I have been very lucky uh, to have an understanding of the schematics of fame. I have been very, I'm so very thankful to understand the way things work. And there is nothing more important in life than your family, than your friends, than those around you, those you care about. And people lose sight of that. Fame and pride is, you know, I actually talk about, in the reflection, Michael will tell you, that I see humanity falling into a very, very bad, cheap genetic failure. Because more and more, people don't need to find that inner strength inside themselves. They, they want that money. They want their face on TV. And they don't care what they have to do to get it. Well, and theologically speaking, uh, those are some of the, the deadly sins, right? Uh, vanity. You know, th- those are ways in which uh, evil gets inside people and corrupts them. And it's not, you know, and, and the word demon, demon is so overused. Possession. Oh, you know. It's, it's a negative and a positive polarity in my aspect. It's up and down, yin and yang, right and wrong, day and night. It's all, it's all the same thing. And every religion and their outlook on it is just a different side of the story. It's just more glamour, more rules, more, more everything. But there is an up and there is a down. And there are ways to treat both of them. And I'm glad that I've come across that. But it's more and more people don't care about up or down. They don't care about inner faith. They don't. They don't care about it. Anything that gives them a little bit of that glow, those sunglasses, you know, that Hollywood aspect is so important. And I feel very badly for them because that is the kind of thing I spent so much time instilling so much in that family to make sure that this thing never come back. And they are doing nothing but filling that with something else. There's, there's an outside that, influence, you said. Somebody's there trying to talk about a documentary or something, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he says, well, we're friends now, so I won't do it. I said, good luck with the story. Good luck with your evidence. Uh, good luck. And, well, if and, if and there's so anything say. that I've found, I mean, I, I've been on a couple of those shows, you know, Ghost Adventures. Uh, John and I were on WGN News with Bachelors Grove. Yeah. These these were things that I expected to be really big deals, and it turned out uh, that they just weren't. You know, I mean, it's one thing like people they, they get excited when they get on a national show. Like it, I was, I was really pumped to be on Ghost Adventures. I mm-hmm. thought it would like change my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, naive. But then you're on, then you're actually on the show, and it's like nothing happens. Like your life does not change at all. And it's really a shame that people would be willing to throw away all the things that are important in their life just to get that, you know, that one little moment in the spotlight. There's a lot of that in the paranormal, too. It's just absolutely oh, crazy. Yeah. Terrible. It is terrible. Everybody wants to have the next big thing. Everybody wants to be, you know, they all. I saw something on, on the Internet the other day and I laughed. Uh, it was, you know, uh, paranormal paranormal research or something then and now and it was then it was read study evidence oh, read, study oh, evidence. yeah, yeah i true. saw that too and, it, and then there was the other one that said form a team get t-shirts make car magnets yeah exactly you know, do a paranormal investigation you know form a new team be more educated maybe you know <laughs> and it was so funny to me because it's exactly you know how things are you know if you have the best spray on tan or 
Well, you have, you know, the biggest breasts. You're you're gonna go far in this business. You got to get the gonna... fancy name, the fancy T-shirts, and the fancy yeah. hats, and that's all it takes. You know, fancy I, pants, right? I have never had <laughs> yeah. a T-shirt for any team. I have never, I I have never found it important. I I've never had my name on anything. They made me postcards. The first book that I put out, the History Press had made publicity postcards to send to people that you knew. I thought that was the greatest thing. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, it, they were beautiful. And I thought I was awesome. And I still have 90% of them. I'm like, I have to hold on to these. Well, now they're <laughs> sitting in my desk. And there they sit. And, you know, and that was the only thing that was ever. And I don't, I don't do that. I don't think that way. And I'm very thankful to understand that. I've worked for TV. I have worked for the networks. And I've been fired for being too smart. <laughs> I was an intelligent woman in authority position. They couldn't have it. So it's it's like if I ever, you know, do something on television, it's going to be to teach, and that's it. No, they don't like that. It's not for entertainment. I actually worked with a, uh, a psychic once, and I was speaking to a group. I was supposed to be the expert, and they were talking about orbs. And I told them the scientific explanation for orbs and went into depth to the real thing. And after that, I actually got pulled to the side and yelled at because I wasn't supposed to say that. I was supposed to say that, you know, that orb is your great-great-grandma or something. <laughs> I was actually emailed the other day from a girl I went to school with out of the blue. And she, she's a very nice girl. And she says, Cassidy, I uploaded this application to my iPhone. <laughs> and I said... Uh-huh. And she said it was talking to my son. It gives words, kind of like an ovulus kind of thing. It was just delivering words that were specific to us, and it was specific, specific to me. And it was this and that. And she says, it was really amazing. I don't understand. Are those things real? And I said, well, the hardware inside of an iPhone is not capable or doesn't work the way that this equipment does. I said, it's an application. I said, even if it worked off, the, the rumor is magnetic frequency or whatever. I said, there's, there's nothing in the phone that could do that. I said, but I said, there's also the aspect of communication that spirit has had through telephones, through the, the famous Frank's box. Um, I've had things, ha I mean, thus with our communication here, the last interview, you were hearing somebody <laughs> chattering on in the background. Then of course you go to listen to it. It all deletes itself. <laughs> it, and I, so I said to her, I said, so you have to actually look into it yourself. Was that something communicating and using that, or was it an application that was spitting out really lucky words? I said it could be looked at in two different ways. I said I highly doubt it was coming from the program. If you did have something that was speaking your son's name and was talking to you, I said, then, then maybe they were using the device. I said, but the application is just an application. Exactly. I was just saying the same thing, like too. It. It, it probably wasn't the app, but it could have been something actually using the phone. That's what I tried to explain to her, and she says, oh, I never thought about it. And I said, well, you know, people pick on the Frank's box. And I said, but I've had some really odd experiences with those, and I have one, and I know Frank, and he's actually building video boxes now. Oh, that's cool. Which was, which was a dream that I'd had, and I called him, and I said, Frank, I had a dream. <laughs> you, you made a Frank's box with a TV on it. He says, no, tried that, doesn't work. Well, then he got thinking about it, and he created the first video box. And there's one in the world, and he's working on number two. Is it like and, that? What was it? Uh, what was the movie with the little girl? They're back. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, Poltergeist, that's it. 
he's pulled some very interesting images off of it. And I actually gave him the idea. I said, you know those old, I can't even remember what they're called. I have like four of them in the estate that we own. The cameras that, that take the pictures, the very old cameras in, uh, what do you... Uh, oh, the Polaroids? Not Polaroids. Dar they're Daragotype or... They're from like the 50s. Oh, uh, okay. They take them in slides. I told him that you need to set up a box, a vid box in front of those, and it takes it in slides, and there would be no altering. There would be no digital matrixing because it would take exactly what was in front of it. And it would be interesting to see, using that kind of equipment, what they could actually get out of it. So hopefully, he says he doesn't have one. I may send him one because I have four. Uh, and the stands, I thought that was very interesting kind of research. And it's, it's funny because, you know, what the Frank's boxes do is they skip radio waves. But I have got some really odd things come through. And even an example, the boy will be sick today. You better wait for the phone call. He doesn't feel well. 30 seconds later... My phone rang and my son was sick at school. Okay, now that's uncanny. They, that's not just, that's not a coincidence. Right. right. And I mean, is it the radio waves? Of course not. Is it something using it as a tool? I think so. Now, the night before I met Michael Clean, and I was going to self-publish this book, Diaries of the Dark Side. It warned you of an evil Frank presence? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I had a dog. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was mulling around. And I got an email from Frank, and it was a it was a sound clip, and I opened it, and it says, "Cassidy, this has got to be for you. You're one of the only writers I know, and I I just think this is for you." And it said something along the lines of, "This is so important. You must take the knowledge and take it to the publisher." And I said, "Frankie, it's not for me." I said, "I don't have a publisher. I'm going to self-publish." Well, it happens to be the next day, Mike picked me up as a publisher. Hmm. So, when it comes to paranormal junk i believe they absolutely can work i've had phone calls from people who were dead one in particular the night my grandmother died my uncle had called so i know that they can use electrical devices so you know it's interesting off topic but interesting that's not really off topic because i mean that's a plus of those phone call things that's been going on for ages i think since phones were made they started having things like that happen and you know it I work with this stuff all the time. I work with it. I work with it all the time. I'm very available to it. But when it, it hits home and it happens in your own life, it shifts your whole perspective. Uh, my grandmother was very close to me. I, I loved her. I, I love her to this day. I will love her till the day I die. She will still be one of the most important people that ever were part of my life. And she was very, very healthy, even at 87. And I was working. I bartended on the side, and I was at work one night, and my phone had rang from my grandmother's phone number. And it was 10, 10 minutes past nine. I remember this distinctly. And she never called after nine. She went up to bed at 8.30. That was her thing. And I picked up the phone and there was silence. And I said, hello. And then all of a sudden I hear my Uncle Mike's voice. Cass, are you there? Cass, it's Uncle Mike. Can you hear me? I said, uh-huh. You know, it was, my uncle had died nine months before this. And she had never got over it. And he says, Cass, can you hear me? It's Uncle Mike. And it faded out. And I remember taking the phone away from my face, and my, my friend was standing next to me, and she says, are you all right? And I said, I think so. And I hung the phone up, and I called back, and my grandmother picked up. And I said, did you just call me? And she says, no. And the phone's right next to me. I'm sitting up here reading. And those were those old, heavy, you know, the rotary phones. Right. Uh, 
she, that's all she had in her house. And I said, you didn't call me? And she says, no, I didn't. And I said, okay, Grandma, I love you. And I hung up, and she died in her sleep that night. So I know, and I will sturdily stand by the fact that they can use that to communicate. I think there's some kind of cat trying to communicate. <laughs> I heard it. It's, it's outside. <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, transition the conversation away from the book very briefly and talk about some of your experiences in Western New York there. Now, I, I know you've, you've written, uh, co-wrote that book on Haunted Buffalo. So I was kind of curious, w- what is your favorite haunted place over there in Western New York? Hold on a second, guys. <laughs> I hear a haunted cat. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Okay. All right. We'll go back to that. When it comes to Western New York, it really is one of the coolest places to live, you know, supernatural wise. We live right in the heart of the Enchanted Mountains. Um, a lot of Native American folklore around the area, which is amazing in itself. And, you know, of course, the city of Buffalo, the city of Rochester, it's, it's all amazing. And when I wrote Haunted Buffalo, I think. Of course, my favorite location is the H.H. Richardson Complex, and it's also the Buffalo Insane Asylum. Uh, It's one of the most beautiful buildings that today still stands in Buffalo. It's very badly dilapidated, but it does have a complex committee that has been restoring it. And I was actually given a, a private tour, and I was able to actually walk through the building, and it was amazing. So this is actually in Buffalo itself, the city? Yes. Yep, it sits on Forest Avenue, and you can see the Twin Towers miles away. It's, it's, gi- it's gigantic. When, you, when, you, when you're standing up next to it, it's, it's just jaw-dropping. And when it, another one of the bigger sites that I really liked was actually the USS The Sullivans, which is a boat. Hmm. And it sits in the Naval Park. And, you know, it was always rumored, oh, it's haunted by the Sullivan brothers. What had happened was five brothers from... Um, Iowa, I think, they had all banded together and joined the Navy, and they all actually were on the same ship. Well, the ship went down in in, in an instance, not the Sullivan, and all of the brothers passed, and they were actually aboard the USS Adunio. And so they had named this ship the Sullivans after the brothers, and it was always said that they, that the, the one older brother had haunted the ship, and la la la. And I always found that intriguing because I'm Irish and there's a big clover that they've, they've painted on there and, you know, in memoriam of the brothers. And when I was able, when I was given a tour of the ship, because these sit um, open for tours in the Naval Park and there was definitely a young gentleman walking around that ship, but it certainly wasn't one of those brothers. And I always was intrigued with that. That kind of showed me, you know, it's not just a house or a building, you know, boats, anything can be haunted. Anything can have an attachment to it. Exactly. Actually, I've said that before, that you can go down down to your favorite mall, and the mall could be haunted. People think it just mm-hmm. seems to be graveyards, but it could be anywhere. Oh, graveyards. Oh, yeah. they're, they're actually uh, over by where I live in Rockford. There's a Cherryvale Mall, and there have been some weird stories about that. Uh, people, like, have reported being trapped in the storage rooms, uh, like employees after hours. Uh, and there was also an incident where somebody, th- this isn't paranormal, but somebody uh, lit bags on fire and was throwing them down into the crowd. Wow. So a lot of weird <laughs> things happened there. Well, that's Rockford, you know that, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even like up here, there's there's a certain tree, and they've created a whole park around it. 
And it was a torture tree that the Native Americans used on soldiers when they, when they got a hold of them and they had forced these men to walk around them with their intestines nailed to the tree, which is gruesome. But that tree is still standing, very healthy, very big. And that tree itself has so much energy around it. And it doesn't matter where you are. And I think that's why I liked the ship so much, because it was so active, yet here's this vessel floating in the water that has, you know, and I've, I've done a lot of studies on, on objects, too, and, and different, you know, I've actually used a World War II bayonet and placed it in the same box with a, a Nazi bayonet. To see, <laughs> to see if, if they fight. Happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, because there's so much emotion tied to both pieces. I mean, as comical as, as and grotesque as that sounds, there is so much emotion. Well, tied actually, to each tell piece. tell us about. I mean, without naming names, I, I remember when I first met you, you had done some exper- experiment on this uh, so-called psychic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I actually wrote about that in great length in that book, and I did I did protect the names, and because it's the fact, you have to be so careful, and whether you like somebody or not, you know, it's kind of one of those long life lessons, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, and I did change the, the names, but it was so important for me to get out there, because it shows how plastic people are. Well, tell, tell us what happened. When... I met this couple and I worked with them. I had all the faith. Oh my goodness, the faith in these people. I trusted them. I trusted what they told me. And when I when I started to realize that uh, there's a lot of baloney, we were they were trying to pull me into this paranormal TV reel because they wanted to be on TV. And I really I had no need to. I didn't I didn't want to do that. And they talked me into it. Please do it for us. One of the things they wanted to do, as an example of of their abilities, was a cold read. And I have, I am the collector of oddities. I have, I collect books. I collect objects. I, my house, my husband has put up with me for years. I have many things. And one of the things I had was a uh, Nazi piece and it was a bayonet and it was, it was a, it was a youth knife. And I had known the story very well as handed down from my grandfather for, that was one of the pieces that he had returned home with after World War II. So I knew, I knew exactly what had happened. And so I, of course, I, I, you know, a little facetious, and I decided to give the husband of this woman a fake story. Hmm. I talked, oh, I made it up, you know. And he says, of course I won't tell her. And, you know, he handed it to her in a, in a towel, and she, they had me over, and, and they were very excited to show me the reel, and when I watched it, it was the exact story I had fed her husband. <laughs> and it, it was a very, there was a very strong, there were several attachments to this piece. I mean, if you think about what this piece was, it, it, it's a gruesome past, very sad past. And my, the reason I ended up with it was my grandmother feared it. Uh, I found it originally in the towel cabinet in the back of my, mother, my grandmother's bathroom. I said, Grandma, what's this? Oh, I just I just put it there, and it was stuffed between towels. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good place so, for it. That's yeah. where you normally keep your daggers. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you know your Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, uh, and I asked her if I could use it for research, and she said yes. And when I had originally tried to return it to her, she says I I, I don't want it. And 
it's because the thing would, if you had it in a cabinet, it would vibrate and you'd open it up and there, all that would be in there was that knife. So I understood, you know, a while later why she had it in the towels because she wouldn't be able to hear it. So now where it sits in a safety deposit box in the bank, it's wrapped heavily in a towel. <laughs> it vibrates it, though, huh? That's weird. It, it does. It, it actually will like shake itself into, in a drawer until you open it. And then of course there's nothing. So. Oh, that's cool. Do you ever put cameras on it? I'm an investigator, true heart. That's the first thing I think of putting it on the ground and putting cameras on it. I haven't yet. Um, I've thought about it. I, you know, after, after the cold brew was done on it, I actually, I actually placed it on top of a record player and, uh, played Moonlit Sonata over and over again. I don't know why it, it, it chose to do it, and it really quieted it down. <laughs> and I haven't put a camera on it yet. It's like singing I, a lullaby? <laughs> I, I kind of. I told it was given to me to do this. But I put it away, and it's like I said, it's in the safety deposit box, and when I choose to do another object study, I will do it with that piece. But uh, I've kind of put that aside. I'll tell you, when I get out your way this summer, I'm going to bring my infrared camera equipment too. We'll put an infrared camera and film it and see if we catch anything. I would love that. That, that, that would be, that would be cool because uh, it'd be kind of shocking to find out that it's not shaking and there's actually a hand shaking it. <laughs> there's, there is something with it and I've, I've heard it bang several times and now it is wrapped heavily in a towel. It, it, it has spooked my husband uh, because my husband really has learned to grow with me. We've been together for 10 years and uh, it took a lot of getting used to, and we, we've we've gone over a lot of humps to get where we are. And I talk about that in the book because it's 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 interesting living with somebody that does what I do for. You're for just life. a normal wife. You've got a dancing dagger, and you know all the normal things that normal people have. Hi, <laughs> He introduces me now. He says, "My wife talks to dead people. Isn't that awesome?" Like he. <laughs> He's totally been uh, all right with it. He he understands it. And, you know, certain things, when I have come out with things and said how important certain things are, he completely, without a doubt, will back me up till the end of time. So it's it's it's, it's nice to have somebody that you can grow with. So are, are you finished with paranormal investigation now? I don't think you ever I finished don't have with that. Time. <laughs> uh, it's become such a circus the fact of going in to help people and actually doing the research and doing hours and hours and hours of listening through recordings and looking at videos and drinking coffee those days are over yeah the days that people research properties research deeds and, and you know i have found very few people in this in this area that are legitimate i have one tony morris and she has impressed me with the fact that everything she does, she does for charity. And she, you know, researches these things. And she'll say, oh, I got to find the deed on this place. And she's working with it. And that is gone. That yeah. is no longer. I mean, the fact that these teams, they all have their matching T-shirts. I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, well, I, I found that to be the case with a lot of uh, old timers. I mean, of course, you, you've got the staple paranormal celebrities as i call them but i think for a lot of people i mean i i had done paranormal investigation for a while when i was a lot younger and Did i got tired of it no i <laughs> know uh, unfortunately not See, but that's i mean why it didn't work 
Yeah. And the car magnet. I I got tired of the whole thing around the same time that it suddenly became popular. So when I had everybody wanting me to join their paranormal teams, I was like, I already had had enough of it, you know, and I didn't want any part of it anymore. I think that certain people get burned out on it. And I think that people who legitimately do the hard work, the research, the hours and hours of time into it, 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 it gets hard on you, you know, if you have a personal life, if you have children, if you're married, very, very difficult to keep up with. And I am not downing because I do know a few people on that are paranormal celebrities, and I think a hell of a lot of them. You know, but pe- they're most of them. I was going to say, are... people have no idea how involved it is. I mean, just to go through uh, photos you take, pictures, thousands of pictures, I mean, it takes day after day after day after week. I mean, it's an insane amount of time it takes to go through this stuff. And that's not even, that's just the investigation, the, the you know, the, the the work you have to do before you even go in. I mean, if there's something on the property, my whole thing was, why is it there? Who is there? What is causing this? You know, what has happened? And either it's an object in the house or it's stuck to a person or it's stuck to the land itself. But you have to go back through before that house was there, before this. You have to go into the Native American footpaths. I mean, you have to go back in time and figure out what has transpired to cause this to happen. And people are too lazy. No, there's they don't like doing that part. There's no fame in there. They just want to do right. the current stuff. But you got to go back in the history, find out what happened. Like you said, way, way back, of something caused it. Generally, things just don't happen for no reason. There's always something somewhere that triggered it. So now, uh, nobody cares. So Cass, is there something that you would like to add? Is there something that we didn't cover that you would like to say about the new edition of Diaries of the Dark Side? When it comes to the new edition, like I said, I'm very, very grateful that it's being put out. I, it was really my way of showing the full circle of things and how things come back to haunt you. They never let you go. And it is the major difference between paranormal and evil or the negative or the dark. And people out there in the world that watch the shows, that, 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 you know, that, read, that read a couple of fan books or... They need to understand. Run. Run from it. Remove yourself from it. If anything ever appears that way, I mean, it's not as common. You know, everybody says, oh, there's a possession. Oh, this is evil. Oh, there's a demon here. There's a demon here. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you, you can have a, an assault from a spirit who is a nasty person. If they're nasty in life, if they're carried over, and they even know that they're dead, they're going to be nasty in death. Exactly. And that's, that's not a demon. That's just a jerk. <laughs> jerk in life, jerk in death. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, you know, and I've come across serial killers, uh, a serial rapist that I came in contact with once. Same thing. I mean, they were who they were, and that soul is still there. And people need to realize not everything is a demon. And there are cases all over the country, and more and more of these exorcisms are failing. And... And, you know, they keep training all these exorcists and because they're not realizing the real problem. And, you know, you need these paranormal groups, if I can say anything at all, if something doesn't look right, remove yourself from it. If you have children, if you have a family, pets, if you value your life, stay away from it because well, it will never They're mean be. and they're vengeful and they will attach to you. 
especially if you take away their fun. If you destroy what they're doing to a family, they're going to attach to you and be with you forever. And they do. And it, it, it's, it's, it's like the flashlight theory that I have. They know where you are. And I have suffered greatly from the work that I have done. And I would do it again. I would absolutely do it again. But when it comes down to the fact that I will no longer have any more children or that I have to watch every step that I take because I have to be so careful and protect what I have, this is not the life that people want. They think this is glorious. They think this is, this is a, a neat thing, you know. They think of Constantine or they think of a man flailing through a, da- a door with a cross, you know. I'll get you. It, it's not like that. So if to understand. So if, I'm, oh, so if you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you first set foot on that property, what would you say to yourself? You know, I wouldn't say a thing because <laughs> everything that I've done and, and gone through, I am very young, Mike, and people still to this day look at me and they go, you're nothing but a little kid. And... Everything that I've done, every step that I've ever taken, every, every triumph and every feat has taught me so much, not only about myself, but the universe around me. I wouldn't have said a thing because if I hadn't have gone through everything in my life that I've gone through, if I hadn't seen everything that I've seen, if I hadn't experienced it, felt it, uh, been damaged or, you know, like I said, triumphed from it, I wouldn't be who I am. And Hopefully the product that I have become and am still becoming and learning every day, I, this is, I am no longer the know-it-all who says, I, am, I know everything. <laughs> I know nothing. And if I hadn't have experienced the things that I have gone through, I would still have that mentality. I wouldn't have been beaten down in the school of hard knocks and said, hey, you better realize what's going on here. So I wouldn't change a thing. I would never go back. And everything that's happened to me, I think that it was all meant for me to learn. I wouldn't have said a thing. Destiny. Sometimes it's just laid out there and there's nothing you can do. I know. (laughs) I would love to be, you know, I'd often had said, I have a character in a a, a fictional book that I'm writing and and she's based on myself. And in the book I say, there are many times that she thought about, you know, the the factory down in town, the 40-hour work week, and they come home to their reality shows and they have a beer. And that's their life. And she had often wished the ignorance had fell upon her. And there are days that I thought, you know, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? Why do I help all these people? Why, why do I waste my time and my money when, you know, they turn around and they do, they do nasty things to me? It's because I'm supposed to do it. I, I'm, I'm meant to do it. It's, it's, it's what I'm supposed to be doing. I think I've done it in past lives because I do believe in it. And I think that no matter how hard I try, and I've tried to walk away from it before and it just comes right back around oh, so it's a whole you can sometimes kind of get away but it always comes back to you i can't get away from it for more than a month or two and it's 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 right back there's a child that is having problems or there's a family or there's something and i can't say no to it and i to this day i often said to myself what will i do the day that i get the phone call that that thing had come back that's what i'm just gonna ask you that now that this family is actually kind of giving you the cold shoulder and idiots are involved in their family again trying to make a buck and all this do you think this thing might come back now i've often sat down over a cup of coffee and and, and thought very heavily about because it. to no, me I, I, angry. I, said, 
I think the writing's on the wall, unfortunately, because the signs, what's going on, something has turned them against you, and something's going on, which, if you ask me, is a little bit of a sign of evil popping its head up again. It, yeah, and it, it's, it's influences from them. It's, it's influences from other people. And like I said, it's a full circle thing. This, this is a perfect possession. And I you know I often say I, got, I had that angry month where I, I slept very little and I was very anxious and I suffered from chest pains and I had to go and, and get treated for anxiety over this. And, and then finally I said, oh, I'll never help them again. I'll never let them help. I'll, 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 I'll let them go. And after this learning experience, if this thing were to come back and I were to get that phone call, you'd go I right would back, anything. wouldn't you? I would help them again. And I, I don't know why, but that that young man that this that has suffered from this, I think that he will be fine. He almost has an animal instinct with it now. He understands. And I spent a long time instilling that. But I think that if I ever got the phone call after a few months of reflection, I would go back. I would I would help them again. I, do I have any th There's so feeling. many stories of people being repossessed, though. That's what's scary. And, you know, people think that once you clear something, oh, it's dead, you know. You, can you kill a demon? No, you can't. You just remove them. You pack their bags and you send them somewhere else. And I think if it, if it were to come back, I, I think that I know how to handle this this particular, and I know... And I probably would suffer greatly. And even in, in redoing this book and writing the reflection, I had health problems again. Same ones. Same one. Mm -hmm. With no medical diagnosis. It never leaves. And I will fight this for the rest of my life. But I would do anything for that young man. Anything. Well, our guest is uh, Cassidy O'Connor. The book is Diaries of the Dark Side, second edition. And is there anything else, uh, John, you wanted to ask? You're such a professional co-host, Mike. <laughs> you're, you're, Cassie and I are just talking, having a good time, and Mr. Serious comes in. Well, our time's <laughs> almost up. Anything else you want to say? <laughs> well, someone's got to keep yeah. the structure. No, what I was going to say is, uh, to be honest, I'd be afraid that thing's going to come back. I'm afraid the writing's on the wall. Whether it is on the wall or whether it isn't, it, it's, it's something that once you get it, it's there. Right. And that young man is so strong and he's brilliant. He is he's very smart and he's very ahead of his years and he will be fine. That's good. Whether the others in his family will be, I don't know. Do I feel someday I may get a phone call? Probably. And I'll have to handle it the way that I handle it. But the truth of the matter is, whether it's them being very, very small people with those fame sunglasses or whether this thing has come back and said, Ha ha ha, I'm gonna ruin you. I'll keep going. I'll keep fighting it. Well, that's a scary phone call you hope you never get. If I get it, I get it. It's to the point now where I've battled that particular set for so long that I'm prepared to do it again. Well, that was uh, really interesting. I actually wasn't expecting that this time. Uh, uh, quite a switcheroo. I just I can't believe those people uh, don't like you anymore. But what can you say? I, I wasn't expecting that whatsoever. I knew you had a new book. That's what Mike said. But I wasn't expecting this version to be telling this side of the story well, I, I always get thing. the good guests yeah, yeah. It, it's a good thing though it, it is because it shows so much and it shows a full turnaround and that actually completes you know kind of the moral of the story it really does and it, it and it shows and after like i said months of reflection i'm grateful for it definitely well you want to give out the web information again mike on where they can get her book which they definitely okay. want to read oh yeah uh, the book is diaries of the dark side it's available on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com, of course, and for Nook and Kindle very soon. Yes, okay. and I when I don't know the, the new edition is coming out within a few days, I believe, right? 
Yes, uh, they they should be able to order the hard copy uh, now on Amazon okay. and BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, but the Nook and Kindle version are going to be released very soon. Excellent. Well, that was great, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again then. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right, that was Cassidy O'Connor. We'll be right back. You're listening to Thresholds Radio. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit ufo info Welcome back. With us right now is Thomas Fusco, author of Beyond the Cosmic Veil. For you regular listeners, you might recall we talked to Thomas last year about his book and some uh, new visions of reality. So uh, how are you doing tonight, Thomas? Very good, John. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me back on the show. No problem. I hear you got some new uh, interesting information for us. Yes, uh, some very, very exciting news, some news that is kind of unprecedented in the field of uh, paranormal research. As you might recall, uh, you know, my work has involved coming up with a new model of reality that would be able to better accommodate all the observations that we see in the world, uh, not just in some of the anomalies of physics and, and science that we haven't yet been able to explain, but also in the areas of paranormal, uh, supernatural phenomena, miracles, that type of thing. My impression has always been that the universe is put together just one way, and so whatever that way is must be able to accommodate all the things that we observe, including the supernatural. And so uh, in that work, the model that I have come up with in my book is kind of unusual, as you might recall, because it actually takes the form of a scientific theory, right. as opposed to a, you know, uh, there's a lot of different theories out there, but a scientific theory by definition is a theory that actually makes physical predictions that can be experimentally verified. And so uh, we've been uh, working on getting some of these uh, predictions verified, and there's actually been some experiments that have been conducted that have verified the model of my theory. That's always good, isn't it? When there's some solid facts that verify what you say, that's always a satisfying feeling. Yes, and, and in the field of paranormal, this is completely unprecedented. We've never had a model uh, that ties together all the various events that are seen, for example, in a haunted house into a single model and then saying, taking it a step further and saying, if this model is correct, then we should be able to conduct certain experiments under certain conditions and get a specific kind of result. That's never been quite done before in this field, and we've actually had a number of very, very significant hits, as they say. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, if you may recall, John, one of the uh, ideas that 
can tell us something about what goes on in a haunted house is the concept of what I call the superphysical bending of space. And this is actually tied very close into the mysteries that still, still surround the study of gravity. Now, Einstein uh, gave us a model of the universe where he said and, and maintained that space is bent or curved or twisted uh, surrounding all physical objects. And to prove this, he actually made a prediction that if we were to able, be able to observe a solar eclipse, that the starlight that would be immediately adjacent to the solar disk, which of course would be visible during a solar eclipse, uh, would actually be displaced 1.75 degrees from this compression, this bending of space that surrounds uh, objects. And so that was verified. Uh, but we still don't know what gravity is. We know all there is, well, perhaps mostly all there is about gravitational effect, but the substance of gravity itself still defies scientific explanation. Oh, the actual so physical properties of it, you mean, as far as we know of it, but why, basically, is what you mean, right? Yes. For example, it's always been assumed from the 19th century that gravity is a force. And by uh, what we mean by a force is actually something which is which comprises of a particle that propagates itself as a wave. So, for example, the force of electromagnetism. We know what the particle is. It's an electron. And we know that it propagates itself in the form of a wave that we call an electromagnetic field. And so these are very physical things. And there's a direct physical cause and, and effect within that process. Uh, two magnets, for example, pulling on each other or repelling each other actually are physically connected by these particles and these waves. And the other two uh, forces of nature, uh, the strong and weak nuclear forces, we've already understand the, understood the bosons, the particles that are involved with that. But gravity, we've never been able to detect a graviton or a wave of gravity. And so here we have this quote-unquote force, which uh, is fundamental in the shaping of the universe, and yet there's no physical connections between the bodies. There's nothing physically connecting the Earth to the moon that keeps the moon in orbit or connecting the Earth to the sun that keeps the Earth in the orbit around the sun. It's really spooky when you, when you understand it. So for me, this is a paranormal phenomenon, and it resembles the same kind of effect with no physical cause that we see in haunted houses. So for, to me, uh, what I wanted to try to do was to see what would happen, for example, if we took these curvatures of space and brought them inside of a haunted house and say, okay, let's say we have an opening, a swelling, a bubble of space-time which expands uh, inside of a haunted house from a source that's outside of the physical. What kind of, uh, what kind of reactions would we get? What kind of physical manifestations would we see? And the first thing that we would see is that in that compression of space that is surrounding this bubble, so to speak, this space-time bubble, in a haunted house we actually have material substances that would occupy that compressed space. Let's say, for example, air molecules. If we're compressing the space, the geometry of space in which those air molecules occupy, we're going to excite the electrons inside the atoms that comprise that atmosphere, that air. Right. 
and those electrons will jump into their higher orbit. And so the first manifestation we would see is an electromagnetic field. And this is exactly what paranormal investigators detect. Exactly. They see literally electromagnetic fields appear out of thin air. And if that was a result of the bending of space and time, that would actually be what we would see. Uh, now, of course, what goes up must come down. <laughs> and, and so when electrons are excited and they jump up into their higher valences or orbit, once they expend that excitement, they drop back down. And when they do, they, uh, they emit certain things under certain conditions. One of the things that they can emit is a photon. This is something that's still somewhat mysterious in science. It's one of those quantum physical weirdnesses, how a photon can be emitted from an electron with the electron not changing its shape or its geometry or its composition or its polarity or uh, its voltage level. This photon just appears. Uh, but we make use of that technology all the time. We pass an electromagnetic field through a physical substance, and it excites the electrons, and when the electrons drop back down, they emit photons. We actually have a name for that. It's called a light-emitting diode. Mm -hmm. LED, huh? Yeah. So here we see an effect from the bending of space, which would explain perfectly uh, this portion of observations that we see in haunted houses. Uh, now, if the audience has been following me, kind of drawing a mental picture uh, of what I've been talking about, here I'm talking about a spherical ball or a, uh, um, you know, a well, a swelling in space-time round, jacketed in an electromagnetic field and emitting photons. I've just given us the world's first scientific model of what we call an orb. Oh, okay. A real orb, other than just all the ones that are actually dust molecules that your camera lens picks up. You're talking about the physical ones that defy all the other rules. Yes, this would this would exactly explain the both the observational and electromagnetic characteristics of orbs. Uh, people have thought that they were balls of energy. Well, in a sense, they are, but not quite in the regular way that people have imagined them as being. Uh, they're actually a swelling in space-time that is jacketed by an electromagnetic field. Uh, so we would see luminous phenomena. Uh, another thing that we would see is that when these electrons drop back down, one of the things that they can emit is thermal energy. And so it's interesting, in recent decades, uh, investigators have been bringing thermal cameras into uh, paranormal investigations and have picked up some very interesting thermal images. Uh, some of them have been so detailed uh, that we could interpret them as apparitions. But when you study these paranormal thermal images, one of the things that uh, you see is that they have the same more or less thermal signature across the entire surface of the image. It's not like a living being. If you took a thermal image of somebody living, you would see very big variations between hot portions of the exposed flesh and the cooler parts like the tip of the nose and the ear. The hair and the clothing would be much darker. We don't see this in paranormal images. We see a uniform signature, uh, which means two things. Number one, 
that the mechanism that is generating that thermal image must be the same across the entire image. And number two, it's something that must be happening at the surface of that image because there is no heat generating mechanism in the core of that image as there is with a living being. So here again, this idea of the bending of space would explain perfectly what we see in thermal images. That's interesting. So do you still believe it's, you know, it's actually like a spirit or something like that? Or do you have another scientific explanation for what these are? Well, as far as uh, who might be initiating these things, who or what, what I've done is kind of set them aside, uh, that consideration aside for a moment. And I kind of call that forens- uh, not forensics, but criminology. Mm-hmm. I kind of break it up like a, a police investigation and say, there's a criminology team. It's their job to figure out who done it right. and who's responsible, who the perpetrator is, what their motivations might have been. But the forensics team is responsible for finding out the actual physics of the crime scene, so to speak. In other words, how the crime was committed. And that's what paranormal investigation has been missing. Uh, We probably, I joke around and say, we probably have 10,000 criminologists who talk about spirits and demons and aliens and all those other things. And we have probably for those uh, 0.25 forensists. Yeah, the paranormal investigators. I actually call myself a paranormal researcher because I research it and study it. Paranormal investigators is anybody that watches uh, one of the ghost TV shows and buys themselves a K2 meter and voila, they're they're an investigator. Well, there you go. But, um, you know, in spite of their best efforts, and I do have a lot of respect for the people to go out in the field and do the footwork, um, which I myself do not. What their challenge has been is that with all the these different kinds of manifestations in a haunted house, the only connecting idea, the only connective tissue that we've had is the ghost or the spirit. And so we would say, well, we see that the spirit's done this, and we see that the spirit is doing that, and that's fine. But we don't have a scientific model that tells us, well, how did the spirit do that, and how did the spirit do this? And that's what's been missing. So this model of bent space really uh, has broken open a lot of mysteries uh, so far with uh, with paranormal phenomenon. And uh, I'd like to go over real briefly some of the other characteristics of this, you know, expanding bubble of space-time and what this would produce. Right, go ahead. For example, um, we notice these gravitational lensings, these, these vast fields of the bending of space in the universe, but in those areas we don't have physical matter present. They're happening in a vacuum. So it's not normal for us to think about what this same mechanism would produce if it happened in the presence of material substances like air, like the atmospheric molecules. So for example, if we had one of these bubbles of space-time open up and it opened up very, very slowly, There would be a vacuum inside of it, but it would open up slowly enough so that the laws of equilibrium would allow the surrounding thermal energy uh, that was contained in the air molecules to drift into it very gracefully, like water seeking its own level. 
Right. But if that bubble opened up very quickly, it would be very much like walking out, you know, walking in your house up to your front door on a cold winter's day and opening the door quickly. Uh, You would have a vacuum. You would have a differentiation between pressure uh, outside and inside. You would have an inrushing. And so what would happen then if one of these bubbles opened up very quickly, we would see two things. First, we would see a cold spot. And so here again, in this mechanism, it's explaining another event that we see. We would get a cold spot temporarily, Mm-hmm. And under certain conditions, we would also feel a slight rushing of air. Yeah, I felt both of that. We actually discussed that last time you were on the show. I've actually experienced some uh, pretty extreme cold spots, too. Yes. And so here's a model that would explain to us how this could take place. Um, another thing, of course, that it would help us explain is the malfunctioning of electrical equipment, where, again, in the uh, paranormal field, in haunted houses, since everybody's thinking about the spirit, they think about spirits drawing energy to create the cold spots, to create the, uh, the malfunctioning of electrical equipment in order to physically manifest. And, of course, you know from your research, we see the exact same phenomena occur in the presence of UFOs in the vicinity of a close encounter, so to speak. Suddenly, electrical equipment malfunctions, batteries appear dead, so-and-so. But in the UFO phenomenon, no one ever thinks that the flying saucer is draining your Everettis from your (laughs) flashlight in order to physically manifest. Right. So, but when we compare the two, we step back and put the criminology aside, so to speak, we can see that the phenomena is virtually identical. So what we've done in the past in in haunted investigations was to bring in meters to measure the amount, the quantity of electromagnetic frequency. But one of the predictions made by my model is that if we were to measure the quality, the frequency and amplitude of those electromagnetic frequencies, we would see at certain known frequencies and amplitudes that that would be the moment when the surrounding electrical equipment would malfunction. And so that's one of the predictions made by my model. We have yet to actually uh, conduct an experiment that would demonstrate that particular frequency and amplitude that that would take place. But we already know from established physics that this occurs. Uh, In fact, uh, the government has even built weapons based on that. You know, if they projected it at an automobile or something, the automobile would stop running it if they were chasing a crook or something. Yeah, I've heard of that before, too. Does your theory cover, like, how about EVPs? How does that fit into there? You know, does does that go along with what you say, or is that something different? Well, this is where it gets wonderfully crazy. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, delightfully and, and delectably crazy uh, when we start talking about EVPs. Uh, many of the people in paranormal investigations and in the research community are familiar with a, a man named David Roundtree. Right. And he has done some very, very unusual experiments in the paranormal. And a number of these experiments have actually confirmed the predictions made by my scientific model of what I call paranormal mechanics. And he's worked extensively with EVPs. And uh, this is what uh, my model would 
say, uh, would predict that a voice, for example, let's say that, let's bring the perpetrator back in for a minute, John, the, the spirit. Okay. <laughs> and bring the spirit into the scene and try to understand the spirit as a coherent, intelligent, and living collection of information. Very much like the collective uh, coherent living information that comprises our own intelligences, but something that was disembodied, that that type of a matrix or order or entity, if you would, uh, can exist separate from and independently from an independent body or, or a physical body. And let's say that intelligence tried to speak something. Well, what my model shows is that when that information enters into our space-time, essentially what it does is it drops down below the speed of light and flows into these bubbles of space-time, which are subliminal, they, they exist below the speed of light, that the natural way that the universe is put together causes this information to begin to materialize into physical reality. And so if we could imagine a spirit trying to speak and there was a mechanism by which a bubble of space-time would open up, then the materialized information of that voice would begin to vibrate the walls of that space-time bubble according to the frequency and the amplitude of a materialized vocalization. And to make that, to translate that from Greek into English, <laughs> in, in normal uh, speech, our vocal cords are the local physical cause that is agitating the air molecules at a frequency and amplitude so that we get an audible voice that we can hear intelligently. In my model, what's happening is the actual surface of space is acting like the paper of a speaker. And it's space itself, it's the fabric of space that is vibrating with this materialized information. And it's the surface of space then acting like a speaker that vibrates the air molecules at the correct frequency and amplitude to create a normal sound that carries to our ears that we hear as a voice. And that's how we get disembodied voices, where they literally come out of thin air. This model shows that, in fact, they do literally come out of thin air. But the other thing that we get, if you recall what I was talking about, about this expanding, this swelling of space, produces around itself an electromagnetic field, that if we were to vibrate that surface of space, it would also give us a frequency and an amplitude oscillation of an electromagnetic field. This is where it gets really cool. Um, so we would actually have an effect very much like a standard record player, a modern record player that's playing a vinyl record. If you can imagine the grooves in the record being the vibrating surface of space and the needle picking up those vibrations and in the needle's cartridge, converting it to an electromagnetic signal of a certain frequency and an amplitude. And then that signal goes into the electronics of the record player, and it's transferred, it's, it's transformed into an audible voice. Well, in EVP, what, is, what we've concluded and, and figured out what's happening 
is that this electromagnetic field being oscillated at the correct frequency and the amplitude of a materialized voice is actually being, through the process of induction, uh, being transmitted directly to the copper coils of the microphone in the recorder. That could actually kind of explain, too, why some EVPs are just normal voice and some you have to actually speed up or slow down to get the proper sound it, it, that would actually explain that just like a record if a record's not spinning fast enough you get it you know you don't get the clear sound that's correct but now what you mentioned is another interesting uh, evidence john for what this model is because when we were talking a little while ago i had mentioned something about space time and then I started talking about the bending of space as something, as a simplified way of speaking of it. But when you bend space, you bend time. So the other thing that we would be able to predict that would be associated with this effect would be a distortion of space or, or a distortion of time. We would actually have a time dilation or a time compression, depending on what part of this expanding uh, ring or parabola of space that we're measuring at, we would get a time dilation or a time compression. So it wouldn't surprise me if a voice would be recorded that seemed faster and would have to be s slowed down to a normal time frame. Mm -hmm in order to hear it intelligibly. Because that's always been interesting to me, that sometimes you get an EVP and they're way too fast or way too slow. That's always been a bit intriguing on why a voice would be talking too fast or too slow. Mm -hmm. Well, according to this model, time is bent as well. And it can be compressed or dilated depending on what portion or what segment of the expanding bubble is measured. So one of the predictions that this model would give is that we should be able to take a recorder, and you may want to try this on an investigation, uh, to take a recorder and put it inside of a vacuum to where no air molecules can be, vibrating air molecules can reach the microphone. Mm -hmm. uh, no acoustical qualities or properties whatsoever and we should be able to pick up EVPs because the electromagnetic oscillation of that voice is inducing itself directly on the coils of the microphone itself, not on the diaphragm. The other thing that we should be able to do is to actually remove the diaphragm from the microphone of the recorder, and we will still be able to pick up EVPs with it. Well, that'd be interesting. Well, here's part of the great news. Uh, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, David Roundtree, uh, an electrical engineer, he's got a master's in it. Uh, he's working on finishing up his doctorate in physics, has already conducted these experiments, and he has verified that, indeed, you can pick up EVPs in a vacuum and EVPs uh, with a recorder whose microphone diaphragm has been removed, and all that's left is the you know, the magnetic copper coils. And this is independent of what you came up with, right? You said he actually had done the same type of research? We did not discover each other until about six weeks ago. Okay. And uh, when we compared notes, we were very, very taken back because he had been doing independent experiments, just trying different things, you know, type of trial and error, 
completely independent of me. He and I knew nothing of each other. And I had come up with a model, a theoretical model, that would predict the results that he's been getting in these experiments. So this is really, really exciting. Yeah, definitely. You don't normally get validation in this type of thing. Absolutely. Not only to have a scientific model that's testable, that makes predictions that you can test, but actually have experiments that have been run that come up with those predicted conclusions. Another interesting thing, if we can go back to uh, what I was talking about with the dilation of time, mm -hmm. uh, he's developed a device, and I'm not 100% sure, I have to apologize, I'm not 100% versed in the way that he's constructed it, but anyway, it, it involves a, uh, a transmitter and a receiver, that bounces particles back and forth at a known rate of speed that we know how fast these particles travel from one location to the other. And at the times when he has recorded EVPs, he's noticed a variation in the, in the speed of those particles. And he has his equipment set up so that that feedback between those two points that the particles are traveling back and forth across uh, give an audible sound. So as soon as the time dilates or compresses, the pitch of the sound of the instrumentation goes up or down. And he's been able to demonstrate that time is distorted and the presence of paranormal events. And this is exactly what my model would predict, that when you bend space, you bend time also. And so, for example, if you could imagine a straight line between point A and B, and then suddenly you were going to bend the space between A and B. So instead of having a straight line, you now have a curve. And if you could imagine the difference in timing between what a particle would travel back and forth across a straight line and how much longer it would take traveling across the bend, the parabola that's being created, you would see a proportional uh, dilation in, in time. Hmm. And again, this is something that he's already experimentally verified. And I have uh, heard stories, too, you know, paranormal encounters where time seems to have been... Uh, manipulated one way or another too that i've heard that a couple times yes this is very very exciting because in the past up until this moment in history uh none of these different kinds of events that we saw in haunted houses had any kind of a model in which we could connect them all together and say here's one model here's one set of mechanics that explains every single phenomena that we're looking at. Uh, this is just, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine what the consequences of this work are ultimately going to be. It's, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of that actually applies to things I've known in the field, too. So uh, it, it's kind of, you know, generally there's no scientific facts to any of this stuff. It's kind of guessing and hearsay. Well, we've got a model, John. And uh, David Roundtree says that for the first time in history, my work actually gives us a roadmap by which we can conduct experiments. And he has the technology and the, uh, the skills and, and, the, and the science uh, behind him to actually understand it and formulate experiments based upon it. Uh, 
Another experiment that he's done, and this is a kind of interesting connection too, uh, we talked earlier about the bending of space being associated with physical objects, uh, but we also have another association with the bending of space, and that's gravity. And so when we see space bending, we should also see the creation of a gravitational field. And sure enough, uh, David has conducted experiments that have demonstrated, that have proved that in the presence of paranormal events, that a gravitational field is formed. And follow what I'm going to say, on three axes. Mm-hmm. In other words, to the layman, what that means is that the gravitational field of the Earth all points down to the core, to the center of the Earth. It's on one direction and one axis only. But if we have a field being generated in three directions, three-dimensionally, then we know that we're talking about a gravitational distortion that is completely independent of the gravitational field of the Earth. Could that explain things moving in some paranormal cases, you know, where like a candlestick will fly across the room or books fly off a shelf? Would that uh, explain that? Yeah. Yes, it would, John. And it would explain why we can't find a graviton also. And it would explain why we can't find something called dark matter. Hmm. And it would explain the problems that they're having with the Higgs boson. Uh, This is what's crazy about this model. For example, let's talk about gravity, gravitational effect in a haunted house a little bit. I have heard reports of many witnesses who have told me that on the onset of a paranormal event, a room gets a feeling of heaviness. Right. And it's not subjective. It's not like 10 different people giving you six different verbal descriptions of what they're feeling. It's like... 999 out of 1,000 use the exact same word, heavy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we, all we human beings, we all know what the word heavy means. So we have to take it as, as, you know, as something that's very reliable as far as what the effect is. Well, the localized bending of space would indeed produce additional gravitational fields that a human being would detect as additional heaviness. It's interesting. I, I've actually been in places where you walk in and you no sooner go in and there's a difference and no ifs, ands, or buts. You know, you can't explain it, but there's a totally different feeling from inside the place to where you just came from on the outside. Yes, and we really don't know yet exactly what the, the effect that the artificial bending of space would have on the human nervous system. But I would suspect that we would find the kind of reactions that people get in their feelings when encountering these these distortions in space. But to get to get to the things about the moving object, uh, poltergeist activity, right, or what we would call levitations, or what I call in my book, translocational phenomena. Of course, we know that objects can be picked up and moved by the hand or by a device. Those types of things that would be normal movement, normal motion. And we would see the physical manifestation of the energy, let's say, in our arm, in our hand, and in our muscles, and the physical structure that contains that energy and also directs it at the object to move it. What makes the movement of an object paranormal is that there is no local matter energy structure 
directing force at the object locally to make it move. It just moves all by itself. Right. So the model that I like to use uh, is one that imagine that you have, let's say, like a frame, a picture frame, uh, a large one, and imagine that you made a table out of it with putting legs on it. Mm-hmm. And imagine taking a rubber fabric, a rubber flexible membrane, and stretching it tight across that uh, frame. And so you have the top of the table that you can see, but you also have the underneath of the tabletop that you can't see. And now let's further suppose that that rubber fabric is the fabric, the surface of space-time. Now let's take a baseball or a softball, something substantial, uh, round because it's easier for us to understand with a spherical object, and place it on the rubber uh, tabletop. Well, it sinks in. It creates a depression, uh, a bubble around it, if you will. This is how Einstein said matter and space uh, relate with one another. Everywhere where there is the presence of matter, there is a bending of space surrounding it. Now, if we took our hand like what we were talking about earlier and pushed the ball across the surface, we would actually see the bend of space travel with the ball. As the ball travels along the surface, the space would, the bending of space surrounding it would move with the ball. Mm -hmm. This is how space is put together. But we also see our physical mechanism of our hand and our arm, what we described earlier, uh, uh, physically contacting the ball and moving it. But now let's look at it a different way. Let's imagine, for example, that underneath the table is a realm outside of space-time. I'm going to say for argument's sake, most people would understand what I would mean. Let's say that's the spirit realm. I'm using it as an example. It's not what I write in my book, but let's imagine that's the non-physical, super-physical, outside of space-time, spirit realm. And let's say there was a hand there that was a coherent collection of information intelligently controlled that was able through its activity to bend space and time. And imagine if it took a pinch of that fabric, that rubber membrane somewhere above the, in front of that ball and pulled it down to create a pocket of space time. That ball would like magic roll right into the depression. Mm-hmm. And it would move of itself with no physical means of, of propulsion that we can detect or measure on our side of the space-time barrier. All right. I've, I've seen that happen, actually, in Villisca, Iowa. There, there's a, it's notorious for a, a ball will roll by itself, and we set a ball in a room, put two cameras on it from two different angles, and let them run. And uh, I'll be darned if in the middle of the night that ball from a dead stop started to roll around the room and then went right back where it was with no one in the room, no nothing. So that that's basically just like that, too. Nothing we could see, but something made that ball roll around. Yeah, and, you know, if you were to bring any kind of measuring instruments in it, you would detect an electromagnetic field, but you wouldn't detect one that was strong enough to actually move a physical object like that. It would move all by itself. But if you can picture what Einstein taught us, that all... Space, the geometry of space is actually bent around these physical objects and that those bends are connected to those physical objects. You can easily see 
how if you manipulated the bending of space, the object that occupied that bend would follow it, and there would be no energy required to bend that space. Is there any explanation as far as why some places seem to have more of this energy or whatever you want to call it than others? Uh, you know what I mean? Like Some places just always seem to be haunted or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Um, now that we have a physical model that's experimentally viable, uh, that we can begin to do some research about the qualities of specific sites. I've heard of different anecdotal evidence that paranormal activity seems to be more prevalent in areas, for example, where they might have a limestone foundation or that there might be some sort of an underground stream of water moving beneath that property. Mm -hmm. These are kinds of things that we have yet to be able to experiment because we had no starting point in which to know how to proceed, no roadmap. But for myself personally, John, I also have a speculation. Uh, I'll say that right up front. It's a speculation, but it's based on all the anecdotal evidence uh, that I know of and comparing that to my model. What I believe is this. I believe that the human consciousness, the human mind, has the ability to directly affect physical reality. I believe that there are such things as telekinesis, mind over matter. Exactly. That was actually going to be one of my questions, too. Just uh, pertain. Go ahead and finish, and I'll bring it back up. But that was one of my questions. Uh, there, there was a very significant uh, experiment done some years ago in ESP where a gentleman, a, a physicist, built a box that had a ring of lights, and he had a computer program in it, that would randomly change the direction of the lights. Each one would light in sequence, and it would make it look like it was either going clockwise or counterclockwise. And he got statistically significant results from students trying to make with their minds the light travel in a given direction, either clockwise or counterclockwise. There's also been experiments done where the presence of people have actually affected uh, cellular uh, division and cellular growth. Mm -hmm. um, there's also reports that out in, in China, certain factories where they will not let uh, menstruating women touch certain electrical devices because they actually affect their manufacture. Well, there's there's numerous stories, I'm sure you've heard them too, where people can affect uh, streetlights. Well, they'll walk down the street and lights will go out as they go through. There's been quite a few stories of things like that too. Yes, and uh, what I do is say, okay, I other than a few um, actual scientific experiments, the majority of it is anecdotal evidence, but I consider the weight of that anecdotal evidence to be significant in and of itself. Uh, you know, when you have a thousand different people telling you they see rocks fall out of the sky, you have to you admit that something like a meteorite must exist, even though there doesn't look like there are any rocks in the sky. Right. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that I believe that strong emotion, strong traumatic emotion, has the effect that it damages the localized fabric of space-time. 
And according to Einstein's unified field model, from which some of his uh, ideas in special and general relativity were devised, a lot of people don't know that, he considered matter a compressed and concentrated extension of the geometry of space, which means that the space inside of a house, for example, is the exact same space that was there when the house was first constructed. It's the exact same localized spatial geometry that's always been in that house. So what happens, I believe, these dramatic and traumatic emotional events uh, inside these houses actually damages the fabric of space-time, and it acts like a sort of a fatiguing effect, where when you bend metal back and forth, you know, you'll fatigue it and then you'll weaken it. And so it's much more susceptible to being bent like a fabric of rubber. It's weaker. And then when you have these um, coherent collections of intelligent information connected to that same geometry, that local geometric space, the combinations of those two things produce what we call a haunted site. Could that be like the replay of time, too? I mean, like uh, battlefields, you know, people will get pictures of, you know, Union soldiers or Confederate soldiers walking in the field. Is, you think that's a replay of time, or, you know, how's that fit into your theory, something like that? In a sense. Uh, people have talked about these being residual hauntings and that these events are somehow recorded uh, on space and time. Uh, my model is a little bit different. What I say is this, that there is no structure or mechanism within physical space-time itself that can record these kinds of events, all the data and information that would comprise the replay of these events. There's no physical structure present locally that can store it, but the information is stored outside of space-time, superluminally, above the speed of light. Now, we know, John, that if we accelerate uh, an object like a spaceship up toward the speed of light, as we travel closer and closer to light, we find that the dimensions of space and time begin to collapse in on themselves. This is how the idea that Einstein demonstrated that if a spaceship left Earth traveling at the speed of light and left for 20 years and came back, that everyone that that astronaut knew would be dead, and it could be hundreds of years in the future, because at that acceleration, there's literally much less time to pass. Mm -hmm. So once this information is into a superluminal state, the dimension of time surrounding it collapses into a singularity which means what we have, in a sense, is infinite time, which means that the past, present, and the future are blurred. And the only time we, and the only event in which we can distinguish time is when that information trickles back down into dimensional space. So, for example, if we are seeing the apparition of a 19th century Victorian lady who lived 120 years ago, we are actually looking at the exact same information being materialized 
that is materializing the lady who's living 120 years ago right now. So to her, in the past, her information has traveled in the future. And from our relative uh, place in the present, her information is traveling to us forward from the past. So you're saying like the past and the present are actually in the same time, so to speak? They are actually in the same singularity where time has completely collapsed in on itself. We had another guest actually saying that too. He said past, present, and future are all one, all the same. There's a statement in the Bible about the sight of God that describes that. Uh, his gaze spans all the ages. Past, present, and future are the same. He sees them all at once. And so that would be a perfect description of infinity. And so is are the events recorded? Yes, but not on the face of space-time, in a place outside of space-time. And it can drop back into space-time any point along the time arrow and any coordinate within local geometry which means that we're, if we understand this science, this is going to lead us to the things that we imagined that could be but didn't know how to do. Teleportation, time travel. I'm firmly convinced if UFOs are intelligently controlled craft that the people or the creatures that run them have cracked this part of the code of creation they have found the physics behind haunted houses, haunted events, and have actually built technology based on those principles. And I agree on that, too, actually, because the, if you know a lot about this, that there's no doubt they're, they're almost identical to each other. Uh, if they were, uh, think about this. We're talking about these swellings of space-time, these bubbles of space-time, and information materialized inside of them. Well, according to that model... Everything in reality is the same way. Everything that we see, even our own bodies, are materialized information within wells of space-time. So what my model says is this. If we were able to artificially collapse the bubble of space-time that surrounded a spacecraft, so to speak, that spacecraft would begin to fade from our physical view. Right. Its presence would be reduced as the bubble was collapsed. It could get transparent. It could even float by itself because the local effect of gravity would be reduced on it. It would kind of act exactly like an apparition does in a haunted house, and it would disappear. Mm -hmm. But the information from which it's constructed from would still exist. You would bring that information back into space-time in an artificially created bubble, and that craft would rematerialize at a different location. And this is how I think, if they are intelligently controlled alien craft, this is how, number one, they're traveling here from a distant galaxy or a distant star system. And number two, this is where people get the idea of interdimensional beings because their coherent, intelligent pattern would be able to exist separate from its physical com uh, counterpart mm -hmm. in this realm that people are calling interdimensional. That's interesting. You know, another theory, you know how people, it's quite common to hear people talk about they see a person dressed in 1890s clothing and things like that. But if, if that's the case, how come we don't see people, you know, who, who knows how they're going to dress, but people from 
you know, 100,000 years from now, you know, if time is kind of past and present is the same, people always report seeing older people, but you don't ever hear people saying that they saw a new, you know, do you know, I don't know how to explain that, but, you know, somebody from the future. Yes, that's very interesting. It kind of makes one think about perhaps time flows in only one direction. Right. Cause from that, the past into the future. Exactly, because if you think about that, I don't recall anyone ever saying that they saw you know, something from the future. Of course, how would we know it's from the future? But you know what I mean? There's always stories about seeing people dressed in the olden days, but you never hear any stories about someone appearing other than aliens. And that's that's kind of different, I think, in the same... I know, Todd, <laughs> if you dig deep enough, you will find a quote-unquote expert who will tell you that the aliens we see are actually us having evolved into the future and we're revisiting the past. Yeah, I've, I've thought of that myself, too, actually. I've... But, you know, that's that's pretty deep. But, I mean, I, that definitely is something I've thought about before. Mm-hmm. What we do have evidence in, in the haunted house uh, is that information from the past is materializing in the present. And by definition of Einstein's relativistic picture of the universe, that would definitely be represent time travel. It's actually all intriguing. It all fits in there. I mean, with your theories, it actually does fit quite well, actually. Yeah, it, it's the. I've been told this is the first of its kind. This this represents a milestone, a a uh, a new era, so to speak, in research into the supernatural. And uh, David Roundtree and myself we're working together. And we're actually planning at some point in the future to submit the first scientific paper to the established world of physics on paranormal mechanics. And uh, yes, John, if you'd ever want us on together, we're uh, we're more than happy to uh, get a date together and come on and uh, double our pleasure, so to speak. Yeah, we'll have to do that down the line. Not for a while. We don't want... Too much of a good thing too quick. we got to put a little break in there, and we'll have both of you come on, and I think that'd be an interesting one. That'd be great. Uh, in the meantime, of course, I know you, you'll have it probably posted on your site, but if people want to find out more about this, want to pick up the book, uh, find out some related articles and where I'll be appearing next, all that can be found at www.cosmicveil, that's spelled V-E-I-L, dot com cosmicveil.com or you could do a search on behind the cosmic veil and you'll come up with the same website okay well that was good we're actually right at our hour points already and uh that was quite intriguing actually we uh covered quite a bit more i guess right where we left off from last time you were on the show and uh, we're going to definitely have you on again so uh, anything else uh, in the closing you'd like to say well, that's pretty much it, John, Otherwise, other than saying thank you so very much for having me back. It was great to be here, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my news with your audience. No problem. We'll talk to you again later. Thank All you. right. Thank you very much, Thomas Fusco, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show tonight. We'll be back next Friday on The Edge. We'll be returning to The Edge Friday nights at 10 p.m. You're not going to want to miss our brand-new revised Edge show starting this Friday at 10 p.m. on theedgeonair.com. Also, we have ufo-info.com every Sunday nights at 7.30. Our brand new show will start as well next week. We hope you enjoyed the show tonight. We'll see you then.